I'm Ruxandra Guiri, host of The Catch, a podcast from Foreign Policy and the Walton Family Foundation about the seafood we eat and the impact it can have on our world. This season, we'll hear how Norway is handling cod's changing migration patterns and what it says about fisheries in other parts of the world. Season three of The Catch is out now. If you were fleeing from the Bahamas and you had only cryptocurrency and no emotional resonance whatsoever, like what do you think is the one thing you'd take from your giant mansion that you bought with other people's funds? A beanbag chair? I'm not sure that there was uh, <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried was notorious for his beanbag chair, but I'm not sure he had many worldly possessions. I mean, I think obviously what he wants is, what, what was the game he was playing? Dragon Horde? Or no, no, no. That <laughs> was his character. Master? It was like a video game. You assembled teams of magical creatures mm. to have mm. battles. Yeah, we're obviously, you can see how immersed <laughs> we all are in nerd culture. First, let's back up and introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Christine Emba. I'm a columnist here at The Washington Post, and I am joined today by two of my colleagues to talk about the interesting moral justifications of fallen crypto mogul Sam Bankman-Fried. He was the founder of the crypto exchange FTX, and he's currently on trial for fraud. So, Megan, Jason. Uh, Hi, I'm Megan McArdle. I'm also a columnist of The Washington Post, which is going to be a curious commonality uh, here. Um, (laughs) And uh, I write about business, finance, and public policy. And I have been following this case with wide-eyed amazement uh, <laughs> ever since FTX blew up. And uh, I'm excited to talk about the the moral foundations of, of that implosion. Jason Willick, columnist at The Washington Post. I've also been following this closely. I um, grew up in the same neighborhood as Sam Bankman-Fried. So when I found out, you know, sometime in 2021 or 2022 that he was this... Um, huge crypto mogul. I started paying attention, and I've paid even more attention since the collapse. So what interests you guys about this whole thing, about SBF? What makes him different from any other young wonderkind whose empire has fallen apart, apart from the fact that I guess you live in the same neighborhood, Jason? Well, you know, I I read Michael Lewis's book. We ran an excerpt of that uh, last week. Going Infinite is the title of this book. Going Infinite. You know, he describes... Growing up, a nerdy kid. Uh, I mean, one one passage that stuck out at me was when Sam, I think in high school or college, um, was trying to prove that Shakespeare was dumb, and he was trying <laughs> to prove this with ba- his Bayesian priors, and you know the probability that, given that so few people were literate, you know that the best writer in the world would have actually been from the 16th century, etc. And you know this this kind of hyper rationalist. Um, mathematical way of viewing the world. I guess I I can empathize with it a little bit. I probably would have been maybe drawn toward that as a teenager to some extent. So it's interesting to look how that was sort of went unchecked and uncorrected for a long time and how it actually reverberated uh, when it encountered uh, real life power and real life influence. Hmm. The fascinating thing about him from Michael Lewis's book that I had not quite appreciated is really the extent to which he is a brain in a vat. And I think I spent a lot of time in this book trying to figure out if he's a psychopath. And I don't even mean like a malicious psychopath, just someone who is incapable of feeling normal human emotion at all. The thing that I found most interesting about Sam Bankman-Fried is 
not him so much, but how his downfall is intertwined with the checking of the effective altruist movement. So effective altruism is uh, this sort of philosophy of philanthropy that was first advocated by rationalist ethicists like Peter Singer and Toby Ord and Duncan Moskowitz, who was actually a co-founder of Facebook. And it's a way of thinking that attempts to optimize charitable giving and philanthropy. So not only is it your moral responsibility to give to charity, but you have to optimize your charitable donations to ensure that they're as high impact as possible. So your altruism is as effective as possible. And originally, just to do so, effective altruists did a lot of this sort of like meta-rational calculation about how to give. Like, yeah, you might want to, you know, donate to the food bank in your town. But if you could use that money and send it to Africa and buy like 2,000 malaria nets, then the number of people who would be saved by malaria nets is higher than the number of people who would be saved by the food bank. So you should, you know, donate to mosquito nets. But then Sam Bankman-Fried... Obviously, I guess, because of his personality, is drawn to this and was also drawn to one of the more controversial tenets of the effective altruist movement, which was the tenet called earning to give. And the idea is that, well, again, you think of like how much money there is in the world and how you can do the most good with it. And thinking about your talents, what's the best way to be useful? And if you're like a math person, maybe you should just like go into a high earning Right job like finance or cryptocurrency and just like make tons of money and then you can give it all away and that's the best way of doing good. And so actually his whole rationale, presumably, what he told people, investors and customers, for the reason that he went into first just financial markets and trading but then to cryptocurrency was that he was making all of these billions of dollars because he was just going to give it away. And I think that was one of the reasons why people trusted him and invested in FTX and the whole thing, like apart from the fact that he, you know, tried to make it attractive through sort of weird calculations, but because it had this supposed moral heft behind it. And I think that's... Well, his first investors were literally effective altruists. Right, right. right. That, was the, that was the sell, was and, that he was going to do this. And, and his, his background, you know, his parents are both sort of liberal law professors who ascribe to utilitarianism. Right. And, you know, we should say, yeah, utilitarianism means, you know, something like maximizing good, which sounds great. But when you uh, have it practiced by someone, as Megan said, who's kind of brain in a vat, or as Michael Lewis says, like a Martian, they think they can (laughs) derive the best course of action uh, based on their pure skills of logical deduction. You know, we have a lot of norms and conventions in our society that are based on the accumulated experience of generations about how to create an ethical and moral code. But for an effective altruist, if you can't justify those empirically or for a pure utilitarian, you know, you might see those as just superstitious, traditional, uh, religious. You want to rebuild your moral system from the ground up with like basically almost like a computer program to maximize effective. And this is also like basically why he's on trial for fraud right now and that he decided to operate FTX in his businesses via his moral tenets about, you know, the best way to spend the money that people had invested in him and they were at odds with the law. I will say that one thing that this this does kind of highlight is the ways in which effective altruism sometimes fails because the people in it don't expect them to act like people. And I think you see this in a bunch of ways. So there's a a big blow up at the beginning of FTX and all of his effective altruists 
are leaving and demanding severance. Right. right. Like, um, they're suddenly extremely interested in their personal welfare. They're suddenly extreme. Right, they're, they're suddenly doing normal person things, which is totally normal. I'm not criticizing them for it. I'm just saying that. Um, but also Sam Beckman Freed, like there are some some meta rationality is hard and is kind of just contained within these cultural norms and practices that, and they're hard to tease out. But he also misses really basic things like figuring out why we require accounting <laughs> that's not like that's not like one of those really complicated things you just got to sit around for like decades and try to figure out what is this institution doing here. It's pretty basic and he clearly what he did was he failed anything that Sam Bankman-Fried didn't want to do. He just decided was irrational. He justified it away because he's like a smart right, guy. Right, cuz he's so smart that like, you know, and I think ultimately the real answer is he just didn't want to do it. And he didn't and and that is to me, I mean, a, a common flaw over and over again is people overestimating their own ability to actually be brain, brains in a vat. And even someone like SBF who at least in Lewis's description really sounds like the closest I've ever come to a non-malicious brain in a vat. It's still at the end of the day, like, well, I like playing video games on on calls, so why should I? Why should I not do that? Yeah, and, right? w- and one of the um, thing that's things that's uncomfortable about this, like Megan said, about malice versus not malice, is you know you can commit bad acts, you know, without what some of us would think of, you know, um, as a sort of malicious, uh, you know, contempt for other people. I mean. For example, the the prosecution I read in the the opening statements, um, they said, you know, he gave this money to his his brother Gabe Bankman Freed uh, to combat pandemics, to improve his image, basically to dupe you know people. And sure, I'm I'm sure that that's um, part of it, and and people have multiple motives for doing things. But I think it would be wrong to say no. He didn't actually think in his moral system that the most efficient use of his funds was to you know, stop pandemics and stop Trump from being elected and combat nuclear war. The, I think that the the collapse of FTX, the crimes he's charged with are of a piece with this supposed do-gooder impulse. They're not at odds with it. They're really uh, the same thing. They're part of the same utilitarian calculus um, that led him to have this sort of perverse uh, view of how decisions should be made. So this is a question that I have about SBF and that this whole milieu of sort of young, smart founders who then go off and do things that are at odds with the rest of human society. First, I mean, there's this sort of utilitarian impulse to just sort of calculate the right way to do good, even if it's at odds with centuries of understanding of what good looks like. But then I think that Americans in particular, but maybe modern society also has kind of a a fascination with and a sort of unwitting acceptance of the smart young guy who's out to disrupt, right? Like Facebook. I mean, Facebook's sort of founding phrase was move fast and break things. The idea was that there's some young guy, he's so smart, he knows enough that he should be just allowed to toss the rules out of the window and just rebuild the world according to his various wisdoms. And it feels like SBF was sort of doing this with FTX. I think think that's partly the case, but I think also he went out of his way to present himself as very safe to, you know, the great and good and and elites and politicians in the United States. He said, I'm not like CZ, you know, the rival cryptocurrency guy who... Very sketchy character. Who's a very sketchy character. You know, I'm giving all my money away and um, I really want the regulators to get it right. 
and so on. So, and frankly, you know, my own personal preference is to prefer the CZ. Like he's a crypto mogul and he's honest about it. He's just, you know, running this cryptocurrency empire. But Sam Bankman-Fried was not, was different in that he wasn't really challenging, trying to challenge the American establishment or take risk in that way. He was going out of his way to portray himself as as harmless. Yeah, them. I wouldn't say. I mean, that is the interesting thing, right? He's not disruptive. He's in a market that thinks it's disruptive. I mean, look, I, I, I should say I have a lot of sympathy for the disruptors. At the end of the day, I still am a libertarian. I, I like thought you were going to say I have a lot of cryptocurrency. No. Oh, God, I have no <laughs> cryptocurrency. I've been a crypto skeptic forever. I have never understood what the, the value proposition was. But the people who are into it really think this is going to just change the world. But he's just kind of doing actually a pretty conventional thing that he starts FTX. He starts Alameda, which is his first company. Um, basically, it's arbitrage. You know, the the asset is selling at one price in one market and another price in a different market. And then you buy it in market A in the cheaper market and sell it in the more expensive market. Like that is something that is as long as there has been trade, that is uh, the fundamental thing traders have done. But he's not like like Mark Zuckerberg. He is not like Jack Dorsey making Twitter. He's not like uh, Steve Jobs making Apple. He's actually kind of coming in and bringing at least the veneer of very conventional finance to this market. The problem is that it was only a veneer. Right. It was, and it was very much like his famous Tom Brady ad in the Super Bowl. Um you know, has all these guys in wigs pretending to be like the American revolutionaries. So they're like kind of really affecting this revolutionary project when they're just trying to do a pretty conventional, um, pretty conventional thing. And, you know, and and winning over all these elite influencers to give them, you know, give them their stamp of approval for their, you know, for this revolutionary vibe that they want to give off, even though, as I agree with Megan, it's not quite that. I don't know. The so many people fell for SBF for his effective altruist thing, for his cryptocurrency markets are revolutionary, but I'm going to make them actually safe and normal. For his whole shtick of being like a weird genius who you could trust, what was attractive about that? I mean, a lot of things, right? So the effective altruist liked him because he was an effective altruist, and right. he definitely in the same way that Bernie Madoff, right? Like his his main stalking area was the Jewish community. And he traded on this affinity. Mm -hmm. um, and SBF does that with the effective altruists. But there's also people who look at people like Mark Zuckerberg and are like constantly looking for the next one. Mm -hmm. They are constantly looking for the guy that if you give this guy a small amount of money, you can basically retire to your large private island um, in 10 or 15 years after he has destroyed some business and, and uh, taken all the money for you. Um, and then, you know, there's the people who think that crypto is the future, who think it's not, it's not just the effective altruists, it's the libertarians, it's the, the preppers and so forth, who think they just fundamentally distrust government currency. And then there's the people who dislike him because he has a lot of money. And there is a tendency in America, um, which isn't always wrong exactly, um, but they look at it's a sort of a proof is in the pudding argument, right? If a guy mm -hmm. has made a bunch of money and he looks like a crazy person, you figure, wow, he must be rich enough. He must be smart enough and competent enough to have made a ton of money, even though he looks like a crazy person. And that 
that whole it's a very American idea of right what success and coolness is is like you slouch around you haven't showered in three weeks you slouch around in like a pair of of dingy cargo shorts because you're too good for to have to like you know put on clean clothes. Well, so I'm interested in your saying live that, in the dream. <laughs> that the proof is in the pudding. Um, I've always been a bit skeptical of this American ideal of like, well, this person has made a lot of money running a company. They must have some, you know, deep intelligence or competence that the rest of us don't have. It's possible maybe that they do have that in a particular field in the company that they're running. And Sam Bankman-Fried, clearly very good at arbitrage. But what has bothered me about this situation and what I think is ultimately pernicious is sort of the American belief that like, oh, this person made a lot of money. It proves that they're smart. So why don't we put him in charge of philanthropy? Like, why don't we all adopt his weird, you know, effective altruist mindset? Because he's a smart guy. (laughs) Jason, what were you going to say? Well, I think, A, one reason that that people were into Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX is there was a bubble. And I think one question hanging over this trial is to what extent is this a you know, traditional financial crimes trial, or is this a trial about cryptocurrency? And I I do think it's in part about cryptocurrency because um, this was a period, in part because the government was giving people checks and interest rates were low, that there was a big bubble in cryptocurrency. And so that sort of, you know, financial mania, I think, you know, compounded on the moral mania and moral over certainty that we've been talking about to to distort a lot of people's judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder what would have happened to Sam Bankman-Fried if he'd had an instructive wreck early in his career Mm. rather than happening to start in the middle of this bubble that made everyone who participated in it temporarily look like geniuses. Fair. Well, I mean, there is the cryptocurrency bubble, the actual financial bubble. Um, But... Okay, the bubble analogy, I'm stretching it here. But I actually think that another bubble that was maybe happening was a sort of moral virtue bubble. And that, like, again, and I keep coming back to this, one of the things that SBF traded on was not just, you know, I'm into cryptocurrency, which is this new cool thing, or I'm a really smart guy, but also that I am doing something really good for the world. I have this novel idea for how to be moral that does involve me making a lot of money, but also maybe involves you making a lot of money. But in the end, we're all good people here. We're all practicing this novel form of philanthropy. We're doing good. And I I wonder if some of the reaction to this trial to people's either schadenfreude or real disappointment in SBF's downfall is that they thought that they had a shortcut to morality through working with this guy. And then it turned out that he was a fraud, either on purpose or by accident. But like there wasn't the shortcut and their morality was not real. I think people love the idea of getting rich and also, you know, being really good people at the same time. And I think, you know, it may be, you know, politically controversial for me to say this, but part of the way that Sam Bankman-Fried did that was just like the most typical causes of that sort of like big American philanthropy wants. They don't want Trump to be elected. They don't want pandemics. They don't want nuclear war. You know, and they come from someone who claims to not understand the humanities, but he's going to solve these very human problems. But nonetheless, where does he target his his attention toward the solving of problems that, you know, are the sort of most simple way to mark yourself as a polite and good person. I don't see them as particularly risky or innovative 
problems that he targeted himself at. And I think, you know, that helped. Um, and, and then so the image of this good boy, good guy who wants regulation, who wants all the same things as, you know, much of the American establishment. I think that's a that's a big that's a big part of his projection of virtue that he and, and why it was successful. If he pro- was projecting, I'm really Christian. I've got this really Christian code of virtue, um, you know, and I'm and I'm going to support all of these sort of moral causes around, um, you know, Christian values or um, some moral code that that is is not the one that the American establishment holds in highest prestige. I don't I don't think you would have seen the same result. Interesting. I mean, I, I do think that most Christians also don't want nuclear war and pandemics. Um, but well, I don't know. That's, a, that's speculation. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's you're, exactly. like, you're right. You're do right. Do you have any polling? <laughs> uh, let's be rational here. Cross-examine. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing, right, is that I think that what he's selling to those young people isn't that you can do a thing with meaning without having to, like, be physically uncomfortable delivering bed nets or so, or, or whatever, it's actually that you don't have to be mentally uncomfortable by mm-hmm. coming into contact with people who are not as as smart and analytic as you are. Um, that you can sit in a nice office filled with people who are like you telling like weird nerd jokes, but that you're still doing good for humanity. You're still basically you're even better than the person who's out there delivering bed nets. Right. You know, you can get all of this money, but it's not tainted by some lowly business. Just trading these electronic signals, you know, who's getting hurt? Well, I mean, the answer is, first of all, you're in the you're in a business of enabling speculation. And like maybe that business would exist without you. But you're kind of like a casino operator. Right. You're doing the same thing. And it's sort of weird that basically (laughs) the the 21st century equivalent of being Harrah's leaving aside the accounting, so forth and so forth, would a casino magnate have gotten the same level of respect and access as Sam Bankman-Fried did? I don't think so. And I think that that tells you something, that there was there was a mental breakdown, not just in Sam Bankman-Fried's thinking, but in societies. I think you make a really good point. The the value prop of sort of cryptocurrency trading in some in some way, and even just like financial marketeering in many ways, is not that you're creating something of value. It's that you've found the cleverest way to sort of skim rents off the top and the but sides. But it's not just skimming. And then with effective altruism, I think the one of the attractive things is that like you don't personally have to go touch lepers. You can sort of think in your brain of the most <laughs> rational way to deliver money to yes. them. But like, you know, continue to to have that distance while still thinking that you're smart and that you're doing good. And I wonder if, you know, critiquing and getting sort of comfortable with the the actual problems of that, both, I think, moral and business style thinking is something that this trial should push us all to do. But we're going to have to do that on a different podcast because I think we're out of time right now. Um, Jason, Megan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you on your beanbag chairs later. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. 
He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities.